You may be wondering, why is this guy doing communion and also bringing the message? Well, about nine months ago, Pastor Herb uh, set up the communion schedule for the elders. And which do you think the date was that I was assigned to? Today, yes. And then about three weeks ago, Paul asked me if I would bring the message, knowing that he would be away at our national council. So you have me this morning. The title of today's message message is Whom God Appoints, God Empowers. In November of 2016, America elected a new president. It is the president's role to make appointments or to set individuals to fill various governmental positions, offices, or agencies. Now, we see in Scripture that appointments have also been made. Those appointments have been made by God himself. We read in Exodus how God had appointed Moses to lead the Israelites out of bondage to the Egyptians. In the book of Samuel, Samuel himself affirms that, and he actually uses the appointment or the word appointed, as he's reminding Israel of their past and how God had appointed Moses and Aaron in this capacity. God appointed Jeremiah as a prophet to Judah. Vince read that passage to us just earlier. God appointed Ezekiel as a watchman for the house of Israel. Jesus appointed the 12 disciples. We read that in Mark 3, verse 14. And the Lord Jesus himself has appointed the true believer to bear fruit. I'd like to invite us, please, to all together, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 15, and I will be reading from verse 16. Jesus says... You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Earlier in chapter 15, Jesus likens himself to the vine and the believers as branches. In that earlier portion of chapter 15 of John, Jesus gives a command. Abide in me, verse 4. That means to remain in me, says Jesus. In verse 5, he reveals the consequence, the positive consequence of abiding in himself, and that is bearing fruit. He then makes it very clear how absolutely dependent we are on him to bear fruit, for he says, for apart from me, You can do nothing. Now, fruit is characterized by being that which reproduces itself in like kind. Certainly, fruit is very tasty to the palate, isn't it? But really, fruit is designed to reproduce itself. Now, you might be thinking, what is Jesus referring to when he says fruit? You might be thinking of the fruit of the Spirit, and he very well could be thinking, referring to the, the fruit of the Spirit. 
When we as believers yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his control in our lives, Jesus' life is manifested through us or reproduced in us in the form of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not our fruit. It's the fruit of Christ that we allow to manifest itself through us. We read about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those fruits in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Now, there's another fruit, and that is the fruit that occurs when lost sinners come to saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. They experience the new birth of Jesus Christ. Christ reproduces his life in the life of the repentant, believing sinner. When we are investing ourselves in the cause of Christ and allowing him to use us in the process that he is causing to occur in the life of an unbeliever to draw them to himself, then we are participating in bearing fruit for the Lord. Some have caused, God has called to plant, to proclaim, others to nurture, others to love. God has placed each of us as individuals, just as the Holy Spirit has purposed. Now, many weak times in this process, probably what I'm sharing with you is nothing new. We know that God calls us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, but many times we may find ourselves to be timid, weak, and even cowardly. And we have every reason to be when? And we have every reason to be when? And we have every reason to be when we look to ourselves rather than looking to the God who has called us. It's interesting as we consider Moses... And his reaction when God called him to lead the Israelites out of, out of Egypt. I'd like to read for us uh, just a, a quick account of, of that in Exodus chapter 4. God has just explained to Moses while he was shepherding his father-in-law's sheep in Midian. Remember, Moses was out there and, and he saw the burning bush and, and God presented himself to Moses in the burning bush. bush. And he, he told Moses, I have heard the affliction, the oppression of, of my people in Egypt. And I've come. I want to deliver them and I've chosen you. And then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently or in times past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him deaf or dem- I'm sorry, dumb or deaf and seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Then go and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he, Moses, said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever thou wilt. First, Moses uses the excuse, Lord, I don't know how to speak. In fact, that's the same 
response that Jeremiah had, as Vince read for us. Jeremiah says, Lord, I'm but a youth. I don't know how to speak. And the Lord said what? Don't say you're but a youth. See, both Moses and Jeremiah were looking to themselves. They had not come, become accustomed to the God who had called them. They did not know yet his mighty power to fulfill his purposes in their lives to accomplish his calling. In verse 14, we see, Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. The very purpose that God had in the lives of his people, Israel, was to bring them out of bondage and to deliver them to a promised land. And he had chosen Moses. And Moses said, I can't speak, Lord. Choose somebody else. Praise God. Can you imagine Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or the disciples not fulfilling God's call in their lives? To us, that would be almost unimaginable. But Jesus has appointed us to bear fruit. Would it be any less thinkable for us not to let God fulfill his calling in our lives? Yes, in and of ourselves, we are powerless. And in our, if our confidence and boldness to proclaim the gospel wanes, perhaps it's because we have lost sight of the final condemnation of the sinner. Perhaps we have lost sight of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps we have too little of an understanding of the power of God with which he has empowered us by giving us the Holy Spirit. Let's consider now the power of the gospel which Jesus has called us to proclaim. Some may say that Christianity is for the weak. Actually, to those who come to Christ, or actually to come to Christ, is for the courageous. Because it is those who come to Christ who are willing to look themselves in the face and acknowledge the wretchedness the brokenness, the evilness of our own hearts before a holy God and then willing to humble ourselves and embrace His grace and the forgiveness which He has offered in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Apostle Paul knew well of the power of the gospel for he proclaims in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Here are only some of the amazing implications of the salvation of God in the lives of the true believer. God brings the forgiveness of sin, Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God causes us, who were once alienated, separated from God, now to be his child. John 1.12, but as many as believed him, to them he, beca- uh, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Romans 5.1 tells us, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6.6 tells us that we've been freed from slavery to sin, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That is power. Power that the world knows nothing about. And so in ignorance, they say, Christianity is for the weak. 1 John 5.13, in 1 John 5.13 we read, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may hope, no, wish, no, in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Our confidence is not in arrogance, but it's in bold apprehension of the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so therefore we can confidently know that we have eternal life because of Christ powerful work of redemption. Well, Jesus himself uh, tells us in Acts chapter 1-8 about a wonderful promise. I'd like us to turn there if you can. And I'm going to start in verse uh, 4. Acts 1-4 And gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus continues to say, uh, I'm sorry, the word continues to uh, reveal for us in verse 6, And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He, Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. John the Baptist is recorded as having said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 11. Let me read that for you. This is John the Baptist. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. Now we're getting into the heart of the message. How can we understand and get a fuller grip on the power that God intends us to experience as we are filled with His Spirit? I think the Old Testament provides some really tangible examples for us to really understand in a, in a, in a, a little fuller way the, the power that God wants us to experience. I'd like us to turn to Exodus chapter 14, verse 24. And this is while the Israelites were still in the wilderness... I'm sorry, they weren't in the wilderness at this point. They were on their way out of uh, Egypt and they were heading towards the promised land, but they came upon the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was in hot pursuit behind them. And so the, the scripture tells us that when the Israelites knew that they were pinned uh, pinned against that Red Sea and the Egyptian army behind them, that the cloud that had been leading them went behind them and stood behind them, between them and the Egyptian army. And so in verse 20 of chapter 14, we read, So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, And there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other. And then in verse 24, And it came about at the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. The fire and the cloud in the Old Testament refer to the manifestation of God's presence. Here we see that the cloud really represents that God as their protector, Israel's protector, and their warrior. There's another example of God's presence, and I'd like us to turn to Exodus chapter 19, And now the Israelites had safely been brought through the Red Sea. And we remember that God is the one who parted the waters. Israel went safely through on dry ground. And when the Egyptian army pursued them, God brought the waters over the Egyptians. And not one of them was left. Now, when they were in the wilderness, God brought Israel to the foot of Mount 
Sinai. And I'd like us to start in uh, verse 16 uh, of chapter 19 of Exodus. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. This is an amazing scene here. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. There's another account of the Israelites before the mountain. I'd like us to turn to Exodus chapter 24, and we'll start in verse 15. Exodus 24, verse 15. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. What do you think the cloud was? That was the cloud of God's glory. And the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, And the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he, God, called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. This is an amazing scene. You can imagine the reverence and the awe that Israel must have been developing as they saw these awesome events before them, representing the presence of God. Let's turn now to Numbers chapter 9. We read again about God's presence. That would be a Numbers chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 15. Now, while they were in the wilderness, God gave instructions to Moses to build a tabernacle, a tent, a place for God to dwell. Verse 15 says, Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the presence of God, and the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So the scripture reveals for us that in the daytime there was a cloud which represented God's presence over the tabernacle, and at night there was a pillar of fire. You know, to get a good understanding of how large that pillar must have been, earlier in the scripture we re- we read that God provided a pillar of fire by night for the Egyptians so they could travel by night. So that pillar had to be quite large, quite high, quite extensive to illuminate enough area for between three and and five million people 
who would be making their way through the wilderness. Can you imagine the expanse of geographical territory that would, re- that would be required to accommodate three to five million people? Can you imagine how large that tower of fire, that flame must have been? And if there were any of the enemies of Israel who may have wanted to take a peek at who is this nation who's coming through, they may have climbed up a hill and as they got over the top of that hill at night and saw this flame of fire, God is with these people. No question. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse, verses 30 for, uh, through 39, we read about uh, uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And God wanted to get Israel's attention. And he wanted to show Israel that he himself was God. And so, Elijah prepares this offering on Mount Carmel. And he lays the wood down, and he lays the sacrifice down, and then he pours some water on it. He pours some more water, builds a trench around it, builds a, a more, uh, pours more water on there. And then Elijah says, in verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people, Israel, may know that thou, O Lord, art God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed, get this, the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench the mighty power of God. Let's turn now to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Remember that Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. They were going to receive, in verse 8 of chapter 1, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And God had a purpose for them receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. And that was, and you shall be my witnesses. I remind us of that verse in Matthew 3.11 where John the Baptist says, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And I am not fit to remove his sandals. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now we come to Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, we read, And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together 
in one place. The followers of Jesus Christ were together in in one place. He had already ascended into heaven. And the scripture says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a rushing violent, I'm sorry, a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Fire is the tangible evidence in this particular case that nothing less than the power of God rested upon the brethren as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence had come upon the true believers. The promise of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled. Now we saw in the Old Testament accounts, fire was many times associated with God's protecting power, with his power to bring victory, to power to consume. But in this particular case, God's presence descended on the followers of Christ not to consume, but to empower. But that power is no less, I'm sorry, but God's presence is no less powerful. Paul has great confidence in the power of God. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Philippians 4. 13. Paul says to the believers in Philippi, in verse 13 of chapter 4, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Strengthens me. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, just turn back a couple uh, pages there, in chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 16, uh, I think I'd like to start in verse 14, Paul is talking about a prayer that he has on behalf of the believers in Ephesus. And he says, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. We read again in uh, Colossians chapter 1, a similar desire that Paul has 
And starting in verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, For this reason also, since the day I heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then in verse 11, Paul continues by saying, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. In conclusion, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, let us have confidence in our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who appoints us to bear fruit, that it is He Himself who will fulfill His eternal purposes in us and through us as we give ourselves completely unto Him. One last scripture I'd like to reference in closing. We're familiar with it, but I think it brings great summary to the calling of God in our lives. And that's found in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up to them, the eleven disciples, and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There was a brother in the Lord who was sharing a testimony one time. He was a very bold evangelist. And there were, I think, a number of people in his family who were not saved. And apparently one of them being his father. They were at a family function. It might have been a holiday, a special event. And I think my, my friend was proclaiming Christ. And his dad came up to him and said, By what authority are you saying these things? He was challenging this, this Christian. And we, friends, can confidently say that we go in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Verse 18 again. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Is there any higher authority on earth, in heaven? And therefore, Jesus says, go therefore. He gives us a command and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. 
And he leaves us with a promise. And lo, I am with you. The living God, the eternal God, the all-powerful God says, I am with you always, even to the end of the day of the age. I have sensed in our church, and perhaps many of you have as well, a stirring of God in individuals. Perhaps it's spreading now in a larger way to begin to cast a vision for the future of what God may have for us as a congregation. We don't have clear direction right now, but we do know that God has called us, Jesus himself, to make disciples of all nations. And I believe that it starts with every one of us as individuals. That we take the command of the Lord Jesus Christ seriously as individuals and purpose in our hearts to proclaim him, to seek him with humble, tender hearts, to walk with him in a manner that's pleasing before him, to allow him to do that sanctifying work in our lives, to wean us from the world, to convict us of areas of hardness of heart, of sin that we continue to persist in, that we come to that place as individuals, that we are desirous of Jesus Christ to do that work, that sanctifying work, and that we present ourselves before him as instruments of righteousness, saying, Lord, my life is yours. You have called me. You have appointed me to bear fruit. I am nothing. I am weak. But I yield myself to you. And trust by faith that as I do, you will live your powerful life through me. That I might be your witness to a lost and dying world. Amen.